1: welcome to true crime garage wherever you are whatever you are doing thanks for listening i'm your host nick and with me as always is a man that will be punching the barry sanders garth brooks ticket this november he is the captain
2: blaming it all on my roots i showed up in boots it's good to be seen and good to see you thanks for listening thanks for telling a
1: friend Today we are drinking Juicy IPA by our friends at Squatter's Craft Beers. This is a New England style IPA, 5% ABV. It's got citrus, it's got melon, it's got fruity, and it's got dank. Garage grade four out of five bottle caps. And we're drinking cold beer today in the garage, thanks to our good friends right here. First up, a cheers to Brett. In Lorraine, Virginia.
2: A big cheers goes out to Samantha in Atlanta, Georgia.
1: Let's give a cheers to our friend Camille in Battleground, Washington.
2: And a big we like your jib to Laura in Chicago.
1: And bear with me here, Captain. We have a cheers to Mathild in Denmark. Mathild. And last but certainly not least, we have Isella in mm. Switzerland. So cheers those are some long-distance cheers right there. Those are a bunch
2: of people that their parents didn't like them.
1: <laughs> well, they're they're in Denmark and Switzerland. Those, oh, those might be, those might be might common, be common names, names for all we know. Steve and I Eva. hope I said them correctly. Probably not. Probably not. We want to thank everybody for contributing to this week's Beer Fund, for going to TrueCrimeGarage.com and joining in the conversation on the blog. And make sure you sign up on the
2: mailing list and check out the store page Also, for our old episodes, download the Stitcher app and check out our bonus show called Off the Record. And that is enough of
1: the business. All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime. Captain, remember our buddy Guy Meany, the owner of the Toyota Tacoma that we were talking about on yesterday's show?
2: Yeah, the guy that worked for Futus.
1: That's right. He also told investigators that Fotus took his Tacoma and had the interior professionally washed and detailed. This was just another unusual activity. This was something that Fotas had never done anything like this before in the past regardless of how many times he drove this other man's vehicle.
2: Yeah. But also think about this. You probably worked with this guy for a while, or worked for this guy for a while. You know, his family, you know, his uh, strange wife, you know, his kids and he's doing these weird activities and you know that he was driving your truck around this, this puts you in a very awkward and horrifying situation.
1: Well, and he tells him to throw out the seats in your truck and replace them with the seats from my Porsche. Mm -hmm. That's those aren't cheap seats, you know, and that's just all kinds of odd behavior. So investigators, they seized the Tacoma and they found a blood-like substance containing the DNA of Jennifer Dulles. Let's talk about some additional searches. Because as we noted yesterday, there's a lot of evidence and a lot of video footage and a lot of things coming into play here. Mm -hmm. There was a search and seizure and arrest warrants that were continually updated as this investigation progressed. These have been released to the public, and it allows us to follow the progression of the case. Early on, the affidavit states, After processing the scene at 69 Wells Lane and analyzing the evidence thus far, it is strongly believed that Jennifer was attacked in her garage and then placed in the rear of her own 2017 Chevy Suburban and driven to where the vehicle was later discovered. Mm -hmm. By June 6th, the affidavit was amended to include language that demonstrated authorities' concern for Jennifer. Based upon the crime scene processing, they note, investigators came to the consensus that a serious physical assault had occurred at the scene, and Jennifer Dulles was the suspected victim. And on June 9th, an accomplice or accomplices are now noted in this affidavit. They're suspected. Police state, we have strong belief that the victim, Jennifer Dulles, is deceased following a serious physical assault which occurred May 24th at approximately 8.30 a.m. Evidence has been located, which indicates that the perpetrators plural took part in cleanup of the crime scene and took additional steps to prevent the crime from being detected and cloak their identities to law enforcement. It is highly likely that multiple individuals were involved in the crime,
2: which we have some evidence that getting rid of some evidence His girlfriend was involved, but it makes you wonder how, what was the involvement of this employee he had?
1: Well, it seems to me like there is involvement by the employee, but the employee doesn't know that he's helping cover up a crime Mm -hmm. that, that Fotis is the puppet master here and he's getting his employee to just do, do these things at his request. Now, let's talk briefly about what a sleaze bucket photos' criminal lawyer is. Again, his name is Norm Pattis. This guy is pretty much the worst of the worst. There is no camera that he does not love, and he is unashamed about lying and stretching the truth all in the name of, quote, defending his client. There are just too many examples of this indecent behavior, which is easy to find online and in the papers, but the short of it is he has lied in regards to this very investigation to the media. And basically when presented with clear evidence of FOTUS's involvement in this whole mess, he has stated that we are not worried about that evidence at the end of the day. This man is an officer of the court and things like telling a radio show that Michelle Traconis passed a lie detector test when Michelle never took one, according to state's attorney, Richard Caleglo, and claiming that his client had an ironclad alibi that Michelle was with him all morning. As we know, this is not true. Is just simply wrong. And there's much more as Gorilla Monsoon would say, he's a weasel. Mm-hmm. I'm sure he'll get several clients from having his name in the papers and his face in front of the camera, but his actions are just low down. Now, in response to all of these absurd and even false statements and allegations made by this attorney, by Pattis, a Stanford Superior Court judge took the rare step of granting the state's attorney's request for a gag order in the case This was in September of 2019. Now, let's shift gears here and talk about another attorney. Remember, we talked about Kent Malweenie or Mm Malwiney. We might want to call him Malweenie after we get through with this part. Let's stick with the weenie. Fotis Doulis. this is his civil lawyer and his friend. This is his business attorney. We don't want to confuse the criminal attorney and the business attorney. These are two separate people. His name is on the alibi script as having a meeting with Fotis that morning. Remember, that's part of his ironclad alibi that we know is false. Police interviewed him on two occasions. He, Kent, initially told them that he did not have a scheduled meeting with Fotis on the 24th, but then later said that he did. Mm. He was at the house, he says, that morning, arriving at 7.40 and leaving at 8.30. Phone records confirm this, which is a little confusing to me, but it sounds like there's evidence that he was at least at the house during that time period. He said he never saw Fotis that day. Malwini was caught in multiple lies to investigators about phone calls and meetings with Fotis, and if he saw Michelle at all that day. Malwini,
2: uh, I'm very confused. So he goes to Fotus's house for a meeting, but he doesn't actually see photos that day.
1: Well, th- that's that's the tricky part of this. We have three people changing their stories as we go. Okay? Now, what we can do to back this up is it appears once they alter their story, if we are to believe Michelle's second story that Fotos probably left sometime around 8:30, what we should point out here is this attorney, Kent, leaves, according to his phone records, leaves this house at 8 30 as well. So there may have been some type of meeting, but FOTUS is not where he says he was to be during this time frame, during the commission of this crime. And his two alibis are quickly crumbling this being Michelle and Kent. So not only that, the investigators know that Mawini lied to them uh, in regards to phone calls and if he, in fact, saw Michelle that day. So in response to this, Mawini tells police that he suffered a concussion from falling down a set of stairs on the 25th. This is very convenient, right? Mm-hmm. And during the the fall— and he, and he
2: went to the doctors for this and got medication and was treated.
1: I I seriously doubt that. Um, I I could find nothing backing up this story.
2: We'll we'll just assume that the weenie didn't fall.
1: Right, but Mm -hmm. that's not the end of his claims. His claim is that he fell down the steps, suffered a concussion, and during the course of the fall, smashed his phone, so he had to replace it. So when they are in the prime of their investigation, they can't get a phone from this dude. And also now he's saying he doesn't recall any of the details about what was going on or about conversations or meetings with Fotus because I fell down the steps and I bumped my head.
2: The penis or the wiener bumped its head. Yeah.
1: We talked about, uh, the arrest and the charges against both Fotus and Michelle, uh, Fotis was released on bond 10 days after his June 1st arrest, as was Michelle. They both pled not guilty to all of the charges. But in July, Fotis gave an exclusive televised interview to NBC News. He did decline to discuss what happened to Jennifer, although he said he was innocent and was very worried about her. He said he had faith in the system and, quote, hopefully we will have some answers soon, end quote. He said that when she disappeared, he and Jennifer had been in a good place and were discussing entering mediation. He appeared on Dateline in September saying that he believed Jennifer was still alive. In August of 2019, Michelle Traconis submitted to another interview with investigators. She must have known the walls were closing in on her because she started to give more and more information. She admitted she had not been truthful in the previous interviews She never saw Fotis on the morning of the 24th at all. When she woke up at 640, she says he was gone. The part she had mentioned in an earlier interview about Fotis being in a meeting with Kent Mawini at his house Mm -hmm. at 815 simply was not true. Fotis was not there. Apparently it was just Mawini sitting there all by himself. Fotis's phone was sitting on the table when she was talking with Kent. She said it rang, and the caller was Fotis's friend from Greece. Remember, this is part of his quote-unquote ironclad alibi. Kent suggested that she answer the phone, and she says she did. It was a very short call. Records confirm this. It was a 17-second call. Mm -hmm. This is why we're going to see Incoming activity to Fotus's phone, but no outgoing activity on his phone at this time. Right. Fotis came home for a quick lunch sometime between noon and 1.30. The two then went to 80 Mountain Spring Road to clean the place. She brought with her, per Fotis's instruction, Windex, Clorox, a vacuum, a broom, paper towels, a bucket, a sponge, garbage bags, and disposable gloves. She said she then witnessed Fotis cleaning something he said was spilled coffee. This was out of the Tacoma, out of that truck. Mm. At one point, Fotis handed her a paper towel and told her to put it in the trash. She said the paper towel had a dark stain on it that did not smell or look like coffee. She said she placed it in one of the black trash bags. I'm
2: glad she's sniffing this, this paper towel.
1: Both Fotis and Michelle were arrested a second time on additional charges of hindering prosecution and tampering with evidence. Again, both released on bond with a future court date set.
2: Do you know what their bond was uh, on those charges?
1: Uh, this this is where we start to see a bit of a shift. And maybe if you want to pile on to the potential motive here, mm-hmm. I believe that their bond for both of them, was set at $50,000.
2: Which is pretty high for those charges.
1: Yeah, but it, I, I mean, the judge can set them at what he or she wants to right. within reason. I'm guessing because these are people of means that maybe you set them a little higher. But from my understanding, it sounds like Fotis was able to to make bail and to get out. But had trouble, he couldn't just pull this money out of his own personal account. Mm-hmm. It seems like he's having some money problems mm-hmm. as well that that we didn't know about until he's unable to pay this by himself. Without a body, prosecutors are are often, as we've seen so many times, hesitant to bring murder charges. yeah, you know, they've been charged with a lot of different things. No one's been charged with murder yet.
2: And I know it's a large park, but it just seems like the amount of resources that they could have used to try to find her in that park, it doesn't seem like they zoomed uh, all those.
1: They used divers, helicopters, dogs, troopers. It's a large area, like you said, which makes it difficult. What, what like
2: 300 acres, you said.
1: 300 acres. What I've been told by some locals is... And of course, these are these are not experts by any means, but these this is just regular. Yeah, but they know the area. They yeah. know the area very well. They live. They've been to the park and live in the area. They've all kind of told me it's not really the ideal place to hide a body.
2: What does that mean?
1: It's like we said. There are some wooded areas, but this is a city it's park. More, more and, open. Well, it's a city park, and it's also a well trafficked park. Okay yeah where the, so i guess what they're suggesting is that they believe somebody would have seen something or suspected something if that were to be the case now as you point out it's a large area unfortunately i, I hate to say these words but jennifer's body very likely could be there somewhere
2: right so that's it's very interesting because we, we know that the murderer is using this park as at least a drop off um, spot for the vehicle yeah but so there's somewhere else possibly you you think that
1: yes that, and i tell you why because mm. we don't know where Fotis was for the entirety of this time that he's missing because mind you we can't mm. track his phone it's left he purposely left it at the house right and what we're learning as this investigation goes along through the search warrants and the wording that changes in these search warrants and the arrest warrants, the investigators are learning stuff as they go with their investigation as well. Right. They initially believed that Fotis did this and the body was removed with the the Suburban. We're later learning what we just kind of went through here. They found Jennifer's DNA in the Tacoma as well. Right. So is there some thought that somehow the body was transferred from the suburban and then eventually into the tacoma and the body was placed elsewhere and the suburban being dumped and abandoned in the park is just to throw investigators off yeah that they're, all they're going to find there is the suburban
2: well not to try to give somebody a pat on the back but one to leave the cell phone at home now you have yeah. no way to track that at That's all right. no way to track the movements like you said If it, maybe it's just a drop-off spot but but the fact that it's a drop-off spot connected to 300 acres, you can start assuming this is, even though people in the area are saying this is probably not the best place to uh, dump a body, but you got to check the 300 acres.
1: Yeah, it's difficult, and here's the thing, too. We're talking about a highly educated man. I'm I'm not going to go as far to say that he's smart or intelligent, but we do know from his track record that he went to some very – prestigious universities and has degrees from them. Right. This is a highly educated man. And again, the wording in the search warrants and affidavits arrest warrants and so on and so forth changes throughout the course of this investigation. And at the later point of the investigation, it includes, we now have reason or evidence to believe that this was planned in advance. So we have a highly educated man with Mm -hmm. multiple vehicles and maybe one or two or several people helping him. And he's planned some of this out in advance. So it that's where it gets tricky for investigators. As, as, as much effort and as much work as they did. And man, they've collected a ton of evidence in this case.
2: Y'all have a body, so it's hard to prosecute.
1: Exactly. But what we are going to have happen, Captain, is Fotis Doulis is arrested this year. January seventh of this year, arrested on five counts, including felony murder, murder, kidnapping, tampering with evidence, and hindering prosecution. Yeah,
2: so he's charged with all the whole kid and caboodle.
1: That's right, you get everything right there. Yeah, the whole you, you the, get everything. The whole murder charges buffet. Mm-hmm. Prosecutors felt that they had sufficient evidence to prove that Fotis kidnapped and killed Jennifer. So what sealed the deal for prosecutors to decide they now had enough to nail Fotis for murder, despite the fact that Jennifer has never been found. Mm -hmm. Well, we took an in-depth look at the arrest warrant looking for the new info. And what we found is this. It says not only was Fotis's DNA found in the smear of Jennifer's blood in the kitchen sink faucet, but it was also found on the doorknob to the mudroom inside the home and the garage door. The video footage of the Albany Avenue drops included video of Fotis removing from the truck a rolled up object resembling the WeatherTech liner missing from the the suburban Mm -hmm. he leaned it apparently he leaned it up against a restaurant wall like so he doesn't place this in a trash receptacle he just walks up to a building and just kind of lays it there Yeah, panicked this as we said yesterday has never been found or if it has the police are not saying so video footage also showed an unidentified man rooting through one of the trash bins and removing a bag containing a light colored piece of material with a what appears to be a large blood stain on it. Okay. This object appeared consistent with two striped camping pillows that the nanny told police were missing from the garage. According to the Hartford current, the man who took the fabric out of the trash was later identified as a homeless man known in the Albany area as george state police questioned him and he told them that he had not taken the bloody pillow he found in the trash so he's he's now telling them look i found a bloody pillow in the Mm -hmm. trash you saw me rooting through the trash i didn't take that with me Mm -hmm. but what i did take was a large knife that i found wrapped inside of this pillow wow he says that In his opinion, the pillow had at least a quart of blood on it. And he said, it looked to him, uh, whoever got hurt, got hurt real bad. He said he wiped the blood on his pants and took the knife with him. This is all seen on the video. He described the knife as a hunting or fishing knife. Now, unfortunately, police were never able to locate this knife. This is because George traded it to a drug dealer he said was named fudge for a $5 rock of crack. Mm. Police tracked down this fudge and were disappointed to learn that he said that he sold the knife for $10 and did not recall the name of the person who bought it. Fudge described the knife as a larger knife with a folding blade.
2: Right. But that's because he didn't have a cool name like fudge.
1: Right. Right. Uh, But nonetheless, these two individuals, uh, are cooperating with the police. So we got to give them some credit there. Bloody no, no. items taken from the trash bins included four bloody zip ties, mm-hmm. bloody clothing that had been cut, which was a, a shirt and a bra, two clear ponchos, gloves, a mop handle, a towel, and a kitchen sponge. One of the gloves had Fotis's DNA on the inside. Mind you, this is all evidence that they've collected that they're testing and they are upgrading the wording to these documents as they're going along. Yeah. The four zip ties recovered, two of them were stained with Jennifer's blood. Her DNA was found on them.
2: So, well, again, there's a lot of police departments or a lot of detectives that would stop at, you know, step one, step two, step three. We have a lot that kind of points to. We have a lot that points to him having possibly help, but they didn't stop there because they know it's an uphill battle without Mm -hmm. that, without her body being found.
1: Well, and just like what we talked about on this week's off the record. You know, we talked about a case where a man was tried and acquitted and then you face the double jeopardy rule. You can no longer. You didn't build a very good case against him. You got an acquittal and now you cannot charge him with that murder again. You do not want this to happen in this situation. What you have on the surface here, again, is a well-educated man that appears that he might have money or means to get money. And he's got a real sleazeball attorney that's going to just call into question everything. So you got to build a really good case because of the zip ties and some of these other items that were found containing Jennifer's DNA and blood. What the arrest warrant concludes is that it is reasonable that Jennifer Dulles was alive at the time that the zip ties were attached to restrain her movements and prevent her escape. But whatever took place, she did not survive the attack. The clincher was that, Fingerprints from Fotis were found on some of the garbage bags and both his DNA and Michelle Traconis's were found as well. Mm. And the arrest warrant spells it out. Residential surveillance footage from New Canaan on the morning of May 24th shows a man dressed in a hoodie and dark clothes riding a distinctive bike, keyword distinctive, going in the direction of 69 Wells Lane, where the attack occurred. Fotis had a vintage French monsieur. I'm trying to throw a little French in there. Pardon my French bicycle. Oui, oui. That he brought with him to the United States. This is both confirmed by Michelle and Guy This bike is missing from the Jefferson crossing house.
2: What a douche.
1: When the police searched it on June 3rd. Now remember a bicycle wheel is visible in the bed of the Tacoma truck when it was driving on the highway. This is picked up by surveillance footage. So apparently a logo from a French made Messier bike. And I'm going to get laughed laughed out of the garage. If I'm saying that wrong, we do. was found in the trash along Albany Avenue where photos had been seen throwing things away. The rest of the bike, again, never been located as far as we know. So the arrest warrant also spells out all of the evidence investigators have that Jennifer is no longer alive. There has been no activity on her financial accounts or phone since she went missing. She has not been in contact with her family. There have been no hits on NamUs. She was eventually applied to NamUs. Nothing has been found in multiple searches for her. It states matter of factly that the whereabouts of Jennifer Dulles is unknown. The Connecticut medical examiner reviewed all of the evidence, and according to the arrest warrant, he was prepared to state that Jennifer Dulles had sustained an injury or multiple injuries which he would consider non-survivable. Dr. Gill categorized the event as homicide of violence. while your subscription is active.
2: All right, cheers, mates. Thanks for sharing these episodes on social media. It helps out the show a ton. So thank you, you filthy animals.
1: So right away, Captain, it's pretty obvious as we've been going through this so far that there are some obvious motives here on Fotis' Fotis' part. We're talking simple vengeance, maybe child custody.
2: Revenge, custody. We have, you have five children, so that's a lot of money in child support. We might have, depending on... And, and this could very well be the case, spousal support because she wasn't working as much because she was taking care of the children. And, and we know that basically he's at fault. So I don't know the laws in, the, in that state and if it's at, at fault state, but if it's at fault state, he could be paying through the teeth.
1: Well, if those two items, those three items are your motive... Entree, here's a great appetizer leading up to that. What we find out is that Fotis, his company, the way he's running it is almost a borrow from Paul to pay Peter situation. Her parents, Jennifer's parents are filthy rich, and he's borrowing money from them. This is his MO. I'll borrow money from them, build the place, and then when I sell it, I will pay them back for the loan plus a little interest. He's fallen way behind on repayments to Mm -hmm. banks, repayments for loans, and repayments to her family. Without getting too far into it, we're talking millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Now, remember Kent, I actually believe his name is Mahenny, is probably how you pronounce it, but we've enjoyed Mawinny. Remember Kent Mawini, I fell down the stairs and I broke my head in my phone guy, business lawyer and fake alibi douchebag guy.
2: Yeah. He's going to be very upset when he hears this episode.
1: Well, we don't have to worry about him. The cops went after him and Kent is a loose cannon. When they went after him, he did not surrender. He was arrested at gunpoint after trying to evade state troopers. He is charged with conspiracy to commit murder. We wow. were hinting around that maybe more than one possible person was involved here, which we all believe to be Michelle. Let's take it a step further. Kent Mawini might have been involved as well. Now, this next part of the story sounds like a Dick Wolf Law and order episode. This is complicated, but please just grab another beer because I promise you this will all come together in a bit. Mm -hmm.
2: Dick and weenie.
1: So detectives lawyers, (laughs) they spoke with members of the Windsor, Connecticut rod and gun club. This club is on 25 acres of land and has only 42 members, which about half of them are active. Two of the members that they spoke with related that on May 18th, 2019, they had stumbled upon a hole dug in the woods on the club grounds. It was obscured by a barbecue style grates covering this hole and also leaves and sticks and such. The hole was two feet wide, six feet long and three feet deep. The hole was, Inside the hole was a blue tarp and two sacks of lime. The men described the hole as 100% a human grave. The two men moved on, and when they returned in early June, the hole had been filled in. One of them reported it to police, and it was determined that Kent Mawini was also a member of this club. Police found the hole, but cadaver dogs failed to hit on anything, and the lime and the tarp had been removed. Okay, so the evidence of conspiracy here seems pretty thin, but there is more. For one thing, it seems pretty clear that investigators believe that Fotis must have had some help in getting rid of Jennifer. The timeline is just too tight for him to have hidden her so well all on his own. But then, It emerged that Kent Mweeney also has an estranged wife, one that he was arrested for raping in January of 2019. Oh my God. And then he was arrested again for violating a protective order issued to her. The two were in the midst of a contentious divorce, this in May of 2019. So here's where the story really goes off the rails. Kent's estranged wife, who is not named publicly, claims that Fotis Dulles who she knew only as an acquaintance, started calling her and leaving her voicemails in May of 2019, trying to get her to come to his house to patch things up with Kent. He left her repeated voicemails, and she felt uncomfortable by the multiple invitations to come to his home since she barely knew him. She did finally agree to meet him at a, at a public place. This is Max's Oyster Bar in West Hartford. But when she told him she refused to meet with Kent, Fotis left this meeting. Kent's wife went on to tell police that she believes that Fotis and Kent had some sort of pact to get rid of their wives. She said she thinks Fotis is indebted to Kent for some reason. Mm -hmm. and was possibly working on Kent's behalf to harm her. She called police on April 15th, 2019, when she looked out her window of her home and saw a suspicious man carrying a gas can and a crowbar. The police incident report said, there appeared to be an attempted forced entry at the side door next to the garage, and marks on the door casing were consistent with the pry bar that the suspect was carrying. It's possible that Kent Mawini had dug the grave at the Rod and Gun Club for his estranged wife. But when the Jennifer Dulles case blew up, he aborted his plan to kill her.
2: Right, because now he's under investigation and he's under a magnifying glass by the law enforcement.
1: But as they say, Captain, this is what's always so weird truth is stranger than fiction. This sounds like a movie. Mm-hmm. This sounds like two evil dudes getting together, plotting how to get rid of their wives. Mm-hmm. Now we, we are kind of left with, regardless of how much evidence we have, and there is a ton of it. We're still left with, we don't know what happened to Jennifer, Jennifer's body. We do know based off of the evidence and based off of timelines and surveillance footage and so on and so forth the photos arrived in Waveney Park in the sub in the suburban at 10:38 this was a 9 minute drive from the Wells Lane house from there the timeline gets a little wonky because we know that Fotus left the area at 1109, or at least Jennifer's phone went off network at that time. And by 1112, he was on the Merritt Parkway going northbound. Mm-hmm. So what did he do in Waveney Park for half an hour? That's where I think this story could, could fork and go one of two ways. It's possible mm-hmm. that, he disposed of the body somewhere in the park that like we've already discussed and it's just not been located. It's also possible that he transferred Jennifer to the Toyota Tacoma along with maybe the bike and some other Mm -hmm. materials used to commit the crime or cover up the crime. Truth is, and sadly we, we just don't know where she is.
2: Yeah. Which, you know, mother of five, you know, it really sucks. I mean, tears their world apart.
1: Well, and as we said earlier, Fotis was eventually arrested and charged with the murder, even though we don't have the body. Now, a little clean up here, Captain. It looks like he was released on a $6 million bond. This yeah. on January 9th of this year, he had to pay $420,000 to get out. Per this situation, he was to remain on house arrest, but was initially permitted to leave the home. This for just a few specific reasons. One, to attend business meetings, to attend church or court appearances, and he was also allowed to go to the grocery store. An ankle bracelet monitored his activities. This lasted just about two weeks when Fotis violated the conditions of the house arrest on January 22nd, this is when he dismantled a makeshift memorial to Jennifer that had been set up at the entrance to the Jefferson crossing development. Mm -hmm. His attorney sleaze bucket, Norm Pattis argued that this memorial to Jennifer had been placed there to taunt Fotis. He's like giving him permission to, to break the law and then go destroy this memorial that's set up for this missing woman. Stanford superior court judge, Gary white admonished FOTUS for being quote stupid and removed the condition of the house arrest that would permit FOTUS to leave the house for business purposes or to go to church and such. So now he's on official house arrest. You cannot leave the home. Thanks for screwing up. Yeah, his next scheduled court date was set for February 28th, 2020. He would not make it that long. It's now clear to all that despite the public veneer, Fotis displayed of confidence and calm and quite, really quite the opposite was true. Fotis's world was unraveling before his eyes. His attempts to gain custody of his children which he commenced within four days of Jennifer going missing, had failed. FOTUS's formidable mother-in-law, Gloria Farber, also petitioned the court for custody and hired security guards who kept FOTUS from seeing the kids in repeated attempted visits. She was awarded custody way back in July of 2019. Mm -hmm. And FOTUS was slapped with a restraining order requiring that he not have any contact with his own children not have any contact with the mother-in-law or the nanny. He was also not permitted to have any contact with Michelle, the girlfriend. Mm-hmm. His business was going belly up. as well, his we discussed. business
2: was all funded by his wife's family. So
1: yeah, he's, he's in debt. He's facing foreclosure and lawsuits brought by his mother-in-law and numerous other creditors. So again, the walls were closing in on January 28th. Shortly after noon, Farmington police were dispatched to perform a well-being check at 4 Jefferson Crossing. This was the home Fotis had shared with both Jennifer at one point and then later Michelle, and where he was on house arrest, having posted bail. After the caper where Fotis had dismantled the memorial to Jennifer at the entrance of this development, Fotis' movements outside of the home were even more limited, as we said. He was to remain on strict house arrest. And that's where he was supposed to be at noon on the twenty eighth. This is also when an emergency bond hearing was scheduled at the Stanford Superior Court. He's not showing up for this thing, right? The officers decide that they need to perform this well-being check. And when they go to the home, they had to forcibly enter the home. What they found is FOTIS in bad shape. They pulled him him, he's unresponsive, out of a vehicle and laid him out in the driveway and onlookers could see that they started to perform CPR on Fotis.
2: Yeah, and they requested oxygen tanks right away.
1: Yeah, so it's looking like this all got to him and he attempted to take his life. So they determined that what he did was he had gone to his garage rigged up a vacuum cleaner hose to the tailpipe of his black Suburban, affixing it with a clamp with the garage doors closed. He started the ignition and ran the end of the hose into the interior of the truck. And he sat in this vehicle with photos of his children and he's writing, you know, a suicide note.
2: Did they release a copy of the suicide note?
1: They did, but there has been some information that was redacted from this note. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're interested, Captain, I will read it. Just note that we will have to play along when we get to the redacted portions. It's dated January 28th, 2020, mm-hmm. and addressed simply to all. It says, if you are reading this, I am no more. I refuse to spend even an hour more in jail for something I had nothing to do with. Enough is enough. If it takes my head to end this, so be it. I want it to be known that Michelle Charconis had nothing to do with Jennifer's disappearance, and neither did Kent Mahenny. I ask the state to let them free of any such accusations. I also ask the state to stop harassing my friends, name redacted, and name redacted. They are honorable people. Please let my children know that I love them. I would do anything to be with them, but unfortunately, we all have our limits. The state will not rest until I rot in jail. My attorney can explain what happened with the bags on Albany Avenue. Everything else is a story fabricated by law enforcement. I want to thank all my family and friends that stood by me this difficult time. Above all, redacted, I am sorry for letting you down and not continuing the fight.
2: Well, he was a liar in life and a liar in death as well.
1: Fotis was placed in an ambulance and sent to nearby Yukon medical center, but it quickly became clear that it was too little too late. Fotis was technically alive, but had insufficient brain function to survive and was reliant on life support. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, at the hospital, his five children were permitted to come and say goodbye to their father. This was more than they ever got to do with their mother, and really a testament to the goodwill and generosity of Gloria Farber. Right. With his family from Greece around him, life support systems were removed, and Fotis was pronounced dead at 5.32 p.m. on January 30th. So what now? Fotis' death left everyone involved in the case reeling and many, many unanswered questions. Of course, the most significant of these were, where is Jennifer? Right. And it is still unknown whether Michelle or Kent actually know the whereabouts of Jennifer's body.
2: Well, again, I, I think even if they knew that information, they're not going to share that with law enforcement.
1: Well, and the status of the case remains unclear, really, at this time. Police have stated that they do not consider the investigation over and that there is additional surveillance and DNA evidence that is, it's not been disclosed to the public. The chief prosecutor, state's attorney, Richard Calaglio, stated in February that finding Jennifer remains a number one priority for authorities. According to media sources, discussions are ongoing behind closed doors as to how to approach the case now.
2: Yeah, again, it would be easier to bring charges against people, and I think it's such a heinous crime, you want want to bring some kind of charges, even if it's not murder.
1: Right, because we do still have the two likely but alleged co-conspirators to deal with. Mm Mm-hmm. Jennifer Farber, Dulles's family, issued a statement after Fotis' death saying, quote, tragically, the children have not been and may never be able to say goodbye to their mother, Jennifer, who remains missing. This horrific reality continues, and we ask once again that the privacy of the families and loved ones be honored. The five Dulles' children remain with Gloria and the nanny, Lauren, continues to assist in their care. Fotis was cremated and his remains given to his family, which they intend to bury him in Greece. I think that we speak for everyone when we say, let's hope and pray that Jennifer is found and returned to the family that loves her. Her children have no parent remaining in their lives, so this closure could help them heal even if just a little bit but of course it seems that even if jennifer is found her kids will have to live with the knowledge that their father killed their mother and in his last act refused to give her justice
2: Do we have any recommended reading for this week?
1: We do, Captain, and this one is, in fact, a listener recommendation, so thank you to Haley. This week's recommended reading is The Beverly Hills Supper Club, The Untold Story Behind Kentucky's Worst Tragedy by Robert D. Webster. Now, this book is amazing. I love the layout of the book, which sounds a little weird, but it's complete with an index, diagrams, a bunch of pictures, because the author is trying to lay out a story in which he says that Kentucky's worst tragedy since the Civil War where 169 people were killed as what he says is the result of greed, corruption, deceit, mafia rule, government cover-ups, kidnapping and murder. So check out this book, go to truecrimegarage.com. You don't have to write down the title now. You can find all of our recommended reading there on the recommended page
2: and we just added a music page so if you like any of the music from the show it's all created in-house
1: if you like music in general just check it out
2: just check it out and and enjoy it, it yes and it's all free so just go check it out on the website and until next week be good be kind
1: and don't you litter